the revelation. Kiddos, you're dismissed. Pre-K through second grade. Give the kids a hand as they go. Come on. All them babies. All them babies. Bye, darling. Nope, nothing for me. All right. And we're going to be in Revelation 20, but don't judge me, bro. Don't judge me. Only, only God can judge me. You've heard somebody say that before. We talked about this briefly last week. It's such a popular phrase in our culture. Don't judge me, man. You can't judge me. You're not supposed to judge every, every backslidden Christian and every atheist. That's their favorite Bible verse. And this politically correct, non-confrontational, soft culture that we live in. And what are we saying when we say something like, don't judge me, man. You can't judge me. Don't judge me. What are we saying? We're saying, don't point out anything in my life that's wrong. I mean, we can get together and talk about them. But don't you point out anything in my life that, and definitely don't call anything I do sin, right? Because only God can judge me, right? And the reality is, okay, I'm a, it's a misuse of the application of that verse. I've done a uh, 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 sermon on that before. If you want it, email the church. I'll send you the link. That completely, I'll explain that to you. But listen, it's a misuse of the application of that verse to begin with. We know that we're not God. That statement's crazy. It's built on a false premise, and it's an excuse. For the most part, when I say, don't judge me, man, hey, don't judge me, bro. When I say that, what, all I'm saying is, is that don't, I don't want anybody to tell me anything's wrong. And then also, we talked about last week how when I say, hey, man, you're judging me, in essence, I'm judging you for judging me, and it's this vicious circle of hypocrisy, right? And so uh, many times we get caught up in this. Today, we're going to talk about something that people don't like to talk about. You're not going to find it on a sign over your mama's kitchen at home. You're not going to have it on a T-shirt. Your coffee mug probably didn't have this on it this morning as you were drinking your coffee this morning. We're going to be talking about the judgment of God, the judgment of God. We've been in this series through the book of Revelation. Now, the revelation basically means the reveal. It's the unveiling. What's Revelation about? It's about Jesus. Who? Jesus. What is he doing? He is ruling and reigning over everything. He is the righteous judge. Now, notice in the four gospels, a lot of times, it's, not, it's, a, it's a mischaracterization of Christ too, but we perceive him as more meek and mild he is the lamb that's led to the sacrifice, more meek and mild Jesus. In the book of Revelation, what we see is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the king of kings, the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? We see Christ in all of his glory and his majesty and his sovereignty. And we can tell, we've talked about this, as we're living this life, that things aren't getting better. I mean, we've got more technology, we think we know more, and like even uh, economically and things like that. But we can tell in the world, things aren't getting better, they're getting worse. And we talked about the fact that we are all born with what I call this judgment chip. You, you're born with the sense of justice. In other words, when somebody murders somebody, somebody's got to pay. When somebody gets raped, somebody needs to pay. When really good things happen to really bad people, we go, why? Right? Why? Why do good things happen to bad people? We were born with this judgment chip. We want justice, right? And so this morning, we're going to talk about two aspects of the judgment of God. One of those is a judgment for believers, for Christians. You heard me right. This is for 
Christians. This is for believers. Again, it's not a judgment of salvation. If you turn from your sin, you've trusted Christ has saved you. He has saved you, redeemed you. That's settled. But there's still this other judgment, this accountability that will happen in eternity. Right? I'm talking about the fact that all of us, everybody in this room, me included, will stand before God, even believers, and give an account of everything we did with everything that God has given us. Now, this is a heavy, heavy concept when you think about every thought, word, and deed being laid out before God. Take some notes this morning. What we're talking about, number one, is this is the Bema Seat. And this, it's called the Bema Seat. And in the book of Revelation, we're going to look at another passage, but this is a judgment of believers. This is where believers are going to be held accountable. It's a time of rewards and awarding. Now look in your notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Say that with me on the count of three. One, two, three, four. We all must go back to that verse. Go back. Okay, now say it with me. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us, all of us, are going to have to stand before God. Not just some, all. That word means all. When you see that word in the Bible, it means all. That means pastors and poets and, and uh, priests and politicians, professional athletes, and even popes are going to stand before God and give an accounting of their lives. We must all appear. Now go to that next slide. The rest of verse 10 says this, that each one may receive the things done in the body. Again, the things done in the body, whether good or bad, sin. Many times we think we're so full of grace that what we do no longer matters. When we think that what we do no longer matters, that means you're not full of grace, you're full of sin, and you're full of yourself. Does that make sense? There will be a judgment, even for believers, for the things that we do in the body. It's a matter of rewards. Look at it. It says, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And we're all going to receive different awards. And it might be why we're infatuated with first-team All-American, second-team All-American, the Emmys, the Grammys, and who won the race and who did that. And God, just like we have a, that judgment chip, we kind of enjoy this system of awards and rewards, right? But the bottom line is we've all got a date with deity. Like you can't be late. You can't cancel it. You can't reschedule it. There will come a time where we will all stand, all believers are going to stand before God at this Bema seat judgment and give an accounting for their lives. Now, let me say it again. Believers who go to heaven, we're saved by grace through faith, but there's a day of accountability that's coming. Look at this next slide. What has God given you? What has God given you? I'm talking to believers. What, what, has, what strengths, what abilities, what compassion, what passions has God given you, and what have you done with those things? What are you doing with what God has given you? Maybe God has given you the ability to make money. Man, you're really good at making money. Well, what are you doing? Are you just stacking bills at home or are you looking around and seeing needs, right? Stuff isn't bad, right? It's just when your stuff owns you that it's bad. Some of you, when you get to the judgment seat, right, this Bema seat, you're going to be ashamed of what you did with what God has given you. Because God's going to say, I've gifted you in this area. I put you in this position so that you could have influence and make a difference. And when I got you there and I put you in that position where you can make a difference and you had influence, you didn't. You blew it. You squandered it. You just let it get away. You just gave it up. And God is going to judge you based on what you did with the stuff that he gives you. Maybe God has given you the gift of leadership, right? God has just naturally gifted you with that talent, yet you refuse to lead. Now, and the perfect example of that is if your wife drug you to church this morning, 
right? Jesus is going to say, you had the opportunity to step up, to be an influence, to lead that group, to be that man, to be that woman, but you wasted it. Maybe in the realm of ministry, maybe you're here this morning, God has called you into the ministry and you know it and God knows it, but you're not going to step into it, right? And so you're wasting that opportunity that God has for you. Maybe it's just in sharing your faith with others, being a witness, being a testimony in the life of other people, the people at that job, at work, or in your family, where they'll listen to you, but they'll never listen to me. And you've got influence, man, and you can share the gospel with them. You could take one of our little Easter invitation cards and give it to them, but you have it. And God's going to say, that was an opportunity, and you wasted it. You squandered it. What are you doing with what I gave you? Right? And it's going to break our hearts someday when we see those missed opportunities, right? And on the other hand, some of us are going to go, man, I didn't even realize it. This is amazing. This is incredible as Christ rewards his people because we're faithful with our talents. We're faithful with our relationships. We're righteous and good in our marriage. We're righteous with our kids. We're faithful uh, in our finances. We're faithful on the job. We're faithful with what God has given us. And the rewards for that are going to be amazing. They're going to be phenomenal. How do I know? Because Jesus is amazing and phenomenal, right? It's coming from the King of Kings. These rewards, this awarding is going to come from Jesus. Jesus isn't going to give you some little wooden plastic trophy with a little spinny soccer ball on top. That's not going to happen. It's going to be amazing. And the fact that we're going to give a reckoning to God, the fact there is this time of rewarding and awarding that's going to happen, there is going to be this time where every thought, word, and deed is going to be laid out. That should motivate us even more because of God's great love and knowing that we're going to give an accounting to, to do what he has called us to do. I mean, if you want accountability, you've got it. And if you want responsibility, you've got it. And he's given it all to you. Look at what God has given you. And we've got this one and only life to live the life that Christ has called us to do. It matters now. What happens now impacts what's going to happen then. It does matter how you live your life. Again, look at that verse, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. Just let this soak in. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And in the original language, in the Greek, this is kind of like a reference to the Greek games where the judge would sit up on a, the best seat, the highest seat, and they would compete in, in front of him, and he would reward people, right? First place, second place, third place, right? And the thing is, all the athletes ran, but everybody didn't get a prize. All the athletes competed, but not everybody got rewarded. And we want to live a life that when we come to the time of this Dima seat judgment, that we don't have empty hands. We want to bring our good works with them. Now, that's the first part of the judgment. Second part, write this down. That's the great white throne judgment. This is for non-believers, for non-believers, those who haven't received Christ. The first judgment, that's for believers. And that's where their works are going to be judged. The second judgment are for those who chose to keep God at arm's length in this life. There, you're probably here this morning and God has been speaking to you and he's been calling to you. He keeps showing up in your life everywhere you turn. There's a Bible verse or there's somebody inviting you to church or you hear something on the radio or something happens and you know that God is speaking to you and your life. But yet what you're doing is you're doing the Heisman pose, right? Kaboom. You're trying to keep God at arm's length. You're trying to keep God at a distance. You're trying to, don't judge me, bro. You're trying to live your life according to your rules, not his rules. You don't want him in your life because you want to do your own thing. 
And what's going to happen is when you make it to the great white throne judgment, what's going to happen is God's going to give you in eternity what you wanted in this life. You didn't want God in your life. You didn't want those things to be a part of your life. You kept God at an arm's distance. Then in eternity, he's going to give you an eternal distance. That's what you wanted in this life. That's what he's going to give you in that life. When you die apart from Christ, when you uh, come to this judgment without having received the forgiveness we have in God. Many people don't want any accountability. There will be an accounting time. And we're going to face the judgment when we die. God does not send anybody to hell. I've been saying that through this whole series. God doesn't slam dunk anybody into hell. It's not God's will for you to go to hell. God didn't even create hell for you. It's for the devil and for the demons. He doesn't want anybody to go to the hell. Uh, look at this next slide. For you to go to hell, you're going to have to do it against the will of God. It's God's will that you'd be saved, that you turn to Christ. It's God's will that you would never even come close to going to hell. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, Who desires all men to be saved and come to know the knowledge of the truth. Again, that word there, all, means the same thing that it meant a moment ago when we said all. All means all. God desires all men, all women, all boys and girls to be saved. God did not call some to salvation and others to damnation. God wants to save you. You can repent, turn from your sin, trust Christ. You can do it now, man. The door is open. You run through it. But there's going to come a day when that door shuts and you're going to find yourself in front of the great white throne. And if you're there on your own merit, on your own goodness, then you're going to be condemned to an eternity in hell. That's the fact. And I think us as believers, I think we'll see this happening. I think, I believe that we'll see this judgment going on, right? And, and we're silent now when we're supposed to be a witness and we're going to see people that we should have shared with. We're going to see people that God put in our path. We're going to see those co-workers that we hung out with and told dirty jokes and gossiped with instead of being a light and being salt and loving them enough to invite them to Easter, to invite them to church, to share the gospel with them, right? Instead, we became like them instead of encouraging them to have what we have. And then we're going to see them there being judged and being cast into hell. Maybe even family members, people that God has put in our sphere of influence, and we're just squandering the opportunity that he's given us, given us, right? Believers won't be facing this judgment, but I believe that we'll see it, right? Now, remember this verse from last week, Philippians 2, verse 10 through 11. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on the earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those who reject Christ someday in eternity, they're going to bow the knee. They're going to see the majesty and the glory and the power and the sovereignty of Christ. The fact that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the line of the tribe of Judah. And they're going to see that and they're going to bow the knee, but it's going to be too late. And like we said, you can either bow now or you can bow later, but you will bow. Guaranteed. Scripture promises it. Bow now, man. Let's look at what, now, okay, that's the introduction. <laughs> I'm kidding. Look at Revelation 20 in your, in your Bibles. Re Revelation 20, verse number 11. Let's look at what the apostle John saw. He said, then I saw a great white throne in him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. This is the time of judgment. It has come. Now, again, when we see this, we understand the holiness of God, how holy God is, how righteous God is, right? That God cannot wink at sin. He can't abide with sin. He's not going to have anything to do with sin. 
and that Jesus took our sin on himself. He died on that Roman cross. He rose again. He was resurrected. He ascended, giving us an avenue, a way to be forgiven for our sins because we were born with this justice chip in our heart. We know that when a crime is committed, somebody needs to pay. When a wrong's done, somebody has to pay. When we sin, someone, look at this next slide, somebody has to pay. You know that. When a wrong is done, somebody has to pay. We have that hardwired in us. God must judge sin. So our sin either fell on Jesus or it's going to fall on us. One or the other. And those who have not applied the blood of Christ uh, to their lives and to their sin, they're going to find themselves at this judgment before God. Again, the first judgment, the Bema seat, that's for believers, those who have trusted Christ. It's more about accountability and rewards. Accountability and rewards. Jesus took our punishment. There's no more punishment. Somebody had to pay. But at the great white throne, the unbelievers are going to be judged. And they're going to receive that punishment because somebody has to pay. And it's an eternal punishment. And eternity is a long time. Look at verse number 12. He says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. Right? There's this one book called the Lamb's Book of Life. And the moment that you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, your name is written into the Lamb's Book of Life. Look at this next slide. Your name is either in it or not. Your name is either in the Lamb's Book of Life or it's not. Your name's not kind of in it or it's not going in it or it's halfway in it, like first name's in it, and we're just waiting to get the last name in. Your name is either in the Lamb's book of life or it's not, period, right? Either Christ has died for your sins and you've applied that to your life or you have it. If you have it, your name is not written in the book. There's not a special Marcus Kelly clause to God's justice where God's gonna make it an exception for me because I have a swell haircut. It's nice, it's nice. But listen, uh, there's, no special, there's no special exemption for you either. Your name is either in the book or it's not. Man, that's what God's word says. It's not something you can go, well, I'm not sure. I kind of hope it's getting there and, or, or whatever. It's not. It's not kind of there. It's there. And if it is there, heaven is a lock. We've got a home waiting for us in heaven. But if it's not there, there's a judgment to come. It will come. Right? And even for believers, right? Every thought, every opportunity, every innuendo, every bit of jealousy, every outburst of anger, every lustful issue, every time we've dealt with hatred and envy and sin, everything's going to be laid bare before God. And it's going to be shown to us. It's going to be shown to everyone. The things that we did for the glory of God or for ourselves. Right? Someday I will give an accounting if this sermon was done for the glory of God or for the glory of Marcus. Someday, Scott's going to give uh, an accounting about whether or not he led worship this morning for the glory of Scott or for the glory of God. Someday, Bob Sumrall is going to give an accounting before God whether that special music was for the glory of God or if it was for the glory of Bob. There will be an accounting. All of our deeds will be laid out to whether we did those things for the right reason or not. But again, I make it sound terrible. It's really a time of rewarding and awarding, right? It's an award ceremony. But the lack of awards will be laid out for everyone to see. Every, every truth will be brought to light. And that sounds a little difficult, but in the end, it's joyful, right? So that makes, in the end, it's joyful. But for unbelievers, the judgment is difficult and it's never ending. There's no joy at the end of it. Look at verse number 13. 
It says the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Now, here's your take-home phrase. Look at this next slide. Write this down. If you're born once, you're going to die twice, but if you're born twice, you're going to die once. Why does that mean? If I'm just born once, I have a physical birth. I'm never born again. That means I'm going to physically die. And then someday when Jesus gives me what I wanted, that eternal separation, the Bible calls that the second death. So if I'm only born once physically, eventually I'm going to die twice. But if I'm born once, I have a physical birthday, August 19th, write that down. If I just have a physical birthday and then I'm born again, I have that spiritual birthday where I gave my life to Christ, I'm born twice, that means I only have to die once if Jesus tarries. I only have to die once. And I'll spend eternity with them in heaven. Go over to Revelation 21. Look at verse 4. It says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write for these words, write for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I just, I'm, in the first service I mentioned, it is done. Um, it is finished. Does that sound familiar? It is finished. Same thing. It is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. In other words, I'm going to judge. I'm going to judge righteously. I'm going to judge good. And I'm going to judge truth. Salvation and freedom from sin is available for anybody who wants it. But for those who don't, they will be judged. And we've got this, and for believers, we've got this amazing time in front of us. But we have to answer the question, what have we done with what God has given us? Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't bowed the knee to Jesus. Maybe you've got questions, man. A lot of people have questions. I've been doing this for a while. I'm a theologian. I still have questions. You're not going to have all of your questions answered 100% where you know what the pinky toe on a statue in the book of Daniel represents before you give your heart to Christ. All you need to know to give your heart to Christ is, man, I'm a sinner. Christ was sinless. He died for my sins, and I'm trusting Jesus to save me. His death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation, right? That's what you need to know. I'm a sinner. He was sinless, and I can trust his sacrifice for my sins. And God will answer a lot of your questions, but if you're an honest uh, person, you're always going to have some questions. How does this work, and what does that look like? It's, and there's no problem having questions, but don't let your questions keep you from making the decision that you need to make. You're not going to have everything laid out for you. What you decide now determines what happens then. What you decide now will determine what happens there because we're made in the image of God and God has given us the freedom of choice and you can choose to be like Christ or not. And that's why studying Revelation is important. It lays out some really key areas for us and specifically the judgments, right? What do we learn from the book of Revelation and from these judgments? Write this down. Write this down. The first thing is this idea of justice. Again, we're born with that justice chip in our heart. We know that God is a just God. We learn that from the book of Revelation, that we don't deserve a thing, that we deserve eternal damnation and separation from God. But because of Christ Jesus, we don't have that. He gives us what we don't deserve because he loves us so much that Jesus took our sin upon himself, man, and paid the price for our sin. And it was a big, big price. 
to die in our place, satisfying God's demand for justice. If you think that your sin isn't that big of a deal, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, just think about what it took for you to be forgiven, for someone to be forgiven. God takes sin so seriously, it costs the life of his son. And because we've been justified through Christ, we should be motivated to live a life, right, that's honoring to that Christ who died for us. We know that somebody has to pay. You know it. Someone has to pay. He pays or you pay. Somebody pays. The second thing is this forgiveness, man. Forgiveness. When you recognize the righteousness of God, how holy and awesome and sovereign God is, you see his holiness, you notice the sin in your own heart, in your own life, and how unholy, especially apart from Christ, you are. But then even as a believer who's been forgiven, right? Even the fact that you've been, look at this next slide. Just the very fact that you've been forgiven of so much means you should be a great forgiver. Does that make sense? When you've been forgiven of everything you've been forgiven of by God who knows everything, how can we not forgive others? Who are you holding a grudge against, man? Who haven't you released? Right? Who are you mad at right now? You know they're controlling you. Right? They walk in the room and your stomach gets in knots. They don't even care. Let them go. And you're just free yourself. Forgiveness. Number three, write this down. The third thing is righteousness. Again, we're just pointed right towards the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ. Right? We should live a righteous and holy and pure life. We have the righteousness of Christ in our lives. We've got the Holy Spirit as believers. And that should motivate us to live a life of righteousness and holiness and purity. Now, notice I'm not saying perfection, like a life of perfection. You're not going to be that unless you already think you're that. You're definitely not that, okay? But what I'm talking about is desiring a life that will please God, right? Pleasing God with your family, pleasing God with your work, pleasing God with your relationships. A life of righteousness and holiness and purity. That's what God has called us to. We're not saved by our righteousness, but a desire to live righteous for Christ is definitely an indication of salvation. And we see clearly in this awesome book of Revelation how righteous God is. He rules. So we see the justice, the forgiveness, the righteousness. Number four, the next thing is evangelism. The fact that we need to be reaching lost people, man. Because as we see the day approaching, as we see the day approaching, we have less and less time. Grace Baptist Church is an evangelistic church. I mean, that's what we do. We're an evangelical church. Why are we evangelistic? Why do we have our children's ministry? Why do we have our youth ministry, our student ministry? Why do we do things like YEC? Why do we do vacation Bible school? Why do we have the strength team come in? Why do we make such a big deal out of Easter and try to get every man, woman, boy, and girl to come to our Easter events? Why do we have a helicopter come and throw eggs out of a window? Because we like helicopters throwing eggs out of windows? because it gives us an opportunity to share the gospel with men and women and boys and girls. Why do we give an invitation after every single preaching event? Why do we hate it when our baptistry goes dry? Why do we do all the things that we do online, sharing the gospel, trying to be a positive uh, influence in social media and sharing the word through uh, the internet? Why do we do all those things? Write this down. Because of heaven and hell, man. <laughs> hell is real. It's a real place where people that you're going to go spend time with tomorrow, that if something doesn't change, they're going to bust it wide open. It's a real place. It's really happening, and it's really coming. And there's nothing that's going to stop it other than the blood of Jesus. The forgiveness we find in Christ based on what we do with what God has given us. 
Those who are not believers, the door of salvation is open right now, but it's not going to be open forever. We need to do things God's way. We need to use the influence we have in the life of others. We need to use the standing we have in the life of others to point people to Jesus. We've got to. We need to take what we've learned so far in the book of Revelation and apply it to our lives. This sermon series, and we got one more week. Next week, we're going to do a, t- a timeline of the end times. And we're going to lay out the rapture and tribulation and all of that. But the whole point of this and what we've been doing in this series is looking at the application from the book of Revelation. Not answering all of our questions about everything. How does this apply to our lives right now? And the way that it applies to our lives right now is if you don't know Jesus, man, run through that door of salvation. Trust Christ. And if you do know Jesus, you need to point people to the door of salvation and live a life that's pleasing to your God. Because there's going to be a day of accounting where we're going to give an accounting for everything that God has given us. Right? And if you've not made that decision to trust him and follow him, do it. God has you here for a reason. God has you here this morning for a purpose. You can bow now or you can bow later, but you will bow. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for our time uh, so far, Father, in your word. Uh, God, we see your holiness, your, your justice. God, we see uh, your purity. God, we also see our sin. And God, and our need to be more like you. Thank you for the salvation that you freely offer, that we can freely receive. Lord, thank you for saving me and all those in this room who you've given that salvation to. Lord, help us to live it out for real. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. No looking around for just a moment. Just assume a posture of prayer. If you're in here this morning and you're a believer and you know, okay, I'm going to be in front of that Bema seat. I'm going to be at that first judgment. I've been saved. I know that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I know that I know. And I I just want to pray with us this morning. But is your prayer this morning like mine? Is your prayer, God, I want to live a life that would honor you, right? Is your prayer, Jesus, if you come back, that you'll find me loving and serving for you because you love me Lord, I want to be a reflection of the love that you've given me and point others to you. Is that your prayer this morning? Slip your hand up. I just want to pray for all of us all over the sanctuary, all over, all over. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for so many this morning who are willing to say, Jesus, I want to be like you. Right? I want to be loving and serving and more Christ-like. I want to point people to you. Lord, help us to glorify you with our actions. Lord, help us to glorify you with our attitudes and the words that we say, the things that we do. Lord, help us to glorify you in our family. Lord, help us to glorify you in our relationships, our marriage relationships. God, help us to glorify you right here with Grace Baptist Church in our communities and on the jobs. Lord, help us to live a life that glorifies you and points others to you. Listen, just a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just a moment. There's some of you here this morning, when we talked about your name being written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you weren't sure. You weren't sure. We're talking about these two judgments. You're not sure which judgment you're going to be at. The truth is, God's word is clear. You can know that you know that you know. You can do business with God this morning and make that decision right now. Look up for just a second. And maybe even with all this talk, it's a pretty typical thing in our society now. Maybe all this talk about judgments and judging, and maybe to you it sounds awful judgy. And maybe, like, you kind of think, I'm a good dude, right? 
I don't hurt nobody. I don't steal from people. Right? I'm just, I go to work, love my family. You know, I'm just, I'm a good guy. Or you know, I'm a good girl, right? I'm better than she is. I'm not as bad as some people. Yeah, maybe I mess up sometimes, but God knows my heart. God knows that I mean well. And I'm just terrified that you'll leave here this morning somehow thinking that God will not judge your sin. Now, I've got this verse there in your notes. I only put part of it in your notes. Look at it, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. This scares me to death for you. It says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, now I don't know if you know this or not, but you're no angel. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, he's talking about the devil and the de- his demons, it's the de- Satan and his demons, delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. God did not spare the angels that rebelled against him. Verse 5, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. The whole world. He judged the sins of the whole world. And he only saved one man in his family. And it was because of faith. Look at verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Condemned them to destruction. Making them an example. Why did he do it? He made them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? For an example for us about the righteousness of God and how deeply, deeply tragic our sin is. Look at verse 7. It says, And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the world, only delivered that one man and his, because of his faith. Because of his faith. Verse 9. Look at verse 9. It says, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. But anyway, God knows how to save you. He's done everything necessary to save you and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. God knows how to save you from your sin, and he did it by sending Jesus. But listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you're here this morning and you don't know that you have Christ, that your sins have been paid for, God did not spare the angels when they rebelled against him. God did not spare the whole world when they rebelled against him. God did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah. He gave them to you as an example of what will happen to you if you die in your sin. He didn't spare the angels. He didn't spare the world. He didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah when they rebelled against him. God will not spare you. God didn't spare his son. He sent Jesus to become sin for you. So that that wrath that rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah rained down on Jesus at the cross. He paid the price for your sin. There is no special clause into eternity for you. There's only one way into heaven, and that's through Christ, asking him to forgive you and save you from your sins. But if you don't, God has given you Sodom and Gomorrah as an example. If you die in your sins, this morning, God's got you here for a reason. This morning, that door of salvation is open, and you can go through it. But someday, that door is going to be shut. And when it's shut, it'll be forever shut. And someday, you will bow the knee, but it'll be too late. God has you here for a reason. Trust Jesus. Let's pray one more time. 
Listen, every head bowed, every closed. Pray, pray for your neighbors. No looking around. Assume a posture of prayer. Listen, you're here this morning, and you know that you're lost. You need Jesus. Right now, you want to confirm it. You want to own that decision. Listen, I'm not going to call you out. I promise you, I will not embarrass you. I will not single you out in any way. I promise you. But right there in your seat, right now, you know that you need Jesus to forgive you of your sins and be your Lord and Savior. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Will you slip your hand up so I can pray for you? God bless you. I see you. God bless you. Who else? God bless you. I see you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Listen, let me encourage you to, let me lead you in a prayer. It's not this prayer. It's you humbling yourself before God, surrendering yourself before God. Even if you didn't raise your hand just then, but you know you need Jesus. Maybe you need to be honest with God and say a prayer like this. Say, Father God, I'm a sinner. I rebel. I sin. I do dirt and I do it on purpose. But Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Save me, Jesus. Lord, I surrender my life to you, your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. Save me, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. The Bible is clear. The Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Did you call on his name this morning? I will encourage you to make it public. But listen, maybe you've prayed that prayer at another service at another time, and you know that you need to follow through a believer's baptism. The first thing that Christ asks us to do when we trust him as Lord and Savior is to be baptized. You can come this morning. We'll rejoice with you and pray with you. We'll schedule that time for you. It's a step of obedience. Maybe you're here this morning and your baptism's on the wrong side of your salvation. It's so common. You got baptized at one point, but you know that you got saved later, and you need to get that straight. Get your baptism on the right side of your salvation. You come this morning, we'll schedule that and pray with you and rejoice with you. It's obedience. Maybe God has called you to be a part of the Grace Baptist family. You know in your heart that this is your church home and you're planting roots here at Grace. It's time to put on the jersey and make it official, be an official part of the team. God's calling. If that's what God's calling you to do, you come during this invitation. But no matter what, during this invitation... This moment right here, right now, is a moment that someday we're going to give an accounting for in eternity. Either at the Bema seat or at the white throne judgment. And we as believers, how can we take this invitation for granted when God wants to work on our hearts? Do business with God. Father God, we surrender this invitation to you. I pray that your people will use it for their good and your glory. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? You come. Don't wait.